1: This is a CBC podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Jody Martinson. Incumbent Premier Danielle Smith will get another four years at the helm of Alberta's government.
2: Now, many folks uh, wrote us off, even just as recently as last month, but you know what happened? Despite it all, today, Albertans chose to move our province forward by re-electing a strong, stable, united, conservative, majority government.
0: For Danielle Smith, who first became Premier in October after her predecessor Jason Kenney stepped down, the road to re-election was rocky, but she ultimately triumphed. For more on what this means for Albertans and the rest of the country, I'm joined by the CBC's Jason Markasoff in Calgary. Hi, Jason.
1: Hi, Jody.
0: Okay, so before we get into the results, it was kind of a weird night because those results were coming in really slowly at first.
1: Yeah, I can legitimately say to you good morning. (laughs) <laughs> Jody, which is wild. It's, uh, it's past midnight here in Alberta when we're recording. Uh, we figured we'd be recording this a few hours after polls closed, uh, and things were pretty clear, but th- the elections in Alberta was shockingly slow mm-hmm. to, uh, to count votes and it was took us, up until, uh, about 11 something, 1130 or so to, uh, declare this election. So three and a half hours after polls, uh, closed. Normally it takes half an hour, one hour to, uh, in the past to declare who the winner is in Alberta. Sometimes it's even closer when the old landslide days, but this was mm-hmm. a weird night. They had, uh, huge delays in, uh, telling the advanced vote. Even the day of vote was coming in, uh, slowly. They, they had these new fancy tabulators for the advanced vote and those didn't seem to be working at a point. But anyway, here we are. Uh, We know who uh, the premier is going to be.
0: And before we talk about that, I mean, what has Alberta elections said so far about what was going wrong behind the scenes?
1: It's not entirely clear. There were some reports. I haven't heard directly from elections Alberta folks. uh, But there were some reports on uh, the CBC broadcast that they'd said that their machines were malfunctioning. And now they say they're functioning as they needed to. Just depending on when things could start counting. I'm not clear. I'm sure we're going to find some answers when the very, very tired, exhausted people uh, wake up. But at this point, you know, there's enough votes in, uh, enough things have finally arrived uh, four hours later uh, that we have some clarity on what kind of uh, Alberta government and opposition we have.
0: And everybody was saying this was going to be a really tight race. And so at this point, and I know we're still counting votes there in Alberta, but was it actually a very tight race?
1: the ucp had appeared to be pulling ahead uh in polls in the final week things had been tighter earlier uh, the ndp was in in the lead in uh several polls but things seemed to, to be closing in uh in the ucp's favor toward the end and the ucp based on the numbers i've seen early on uh may have outperformed their polls there is a history in alberta polling recently of the ndp vote being a bit overcounted and uh, the ucp vote being underestimated a bit all that said, though, um, this is quite possibly historic for Alberta. Alberta is used to having massive uh, seat gaps between the two uh, main parties. We're talking 30-some, 39 seats in the last uh, election hmm. uh, the ECP the had. Um, so, you know, at this point, we're looking at 13-seat uh, gap, 40, 40, 50 seats for the ECP, 37 for the NDP. But some of these seats are very tight, so things could shift. But we're... You know, if it's closer than 15 seats, that's historic for Alberta. If it's closer than 19 seats, we're talking a closer uh, gap than any time since the Second World War. Um, And uh, the NDP, as Rachel Notley noted in her concession speech, seems almost certain to have the largest opposition bench in Alberta history.
2: I'm very pleased that we we will be welcoming at least 10 more MLAs to our caucus. (laughs) Who will form part of the largest official opposition this province has ever seen in its history?
0: So Jason, we did an election setup episode a little while ago and we talked about how Calgary would be really important to the results and we were hearing that battleground Calgary. Idea, And you guys talk there about the three-legged stool, the idea that you need some combo of Calgary, Edmonton and rural areas to win. So how did Calgary vote from what we know so far?
1: So Calgary seems like it's going to go half NDP, uh, maybe 13 or give or take uh, of the 26 seats uh, in Calgary will go uh, orange uh, from uh, the looks of it at this hour. Um, but that's not enough. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. even enough to win close, uh, because yes, there is this three-legged stool that we talk about where Edmonton is one leg of the stool and the NDP control Edmonton and mm-hmm. uh rural and small town Alberta is the other leg and the ECP controls that. So, uh, Calgary, uh, which can go back and forth in the last few elections, uh, was an NDP control when they won eight years ago, they lost almost all the seats they had, uh, last time. So Calgary is the volatile thing, but the issue with that is that not all legs, of that stool are of equal size. Uh, um, the, the, there are more seats in small towns and small cities and rural areas in Alberta and the UCP stayed true to those, uh, to that strength and they seem like, you know, if you look at a map, a riding map of the, uh, of Alberta, the whole province, uh, y- you got a squint to see much of the orange. Um, it seems like the, uh. <laughs> The the, uh, the UCP may only lose one seat in uh, the Rocky Mountain towns of Banff, Kananaskis, riding, um, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the the rest of their uh, their rural stronghold, small town stronghold, even in the neighborhoods around Edmonton, stayed true. Um, so the NDP we knew going into this needed to do not just take half of Calgary, but win it resoundingly. Um, And that does not seem to be in the case uh, in this part. Um, The suburbs, especially the southern suburbs of uh, Calgary, uh, uh, stayed blue.
0: And I think it's fair to say that at the beginning of this campaign, there were some real questions about the baggage that Smith carried into this race. What, What baggage did she come with when this election campaign began?
1: All leaders, all politicians have baggage of their own. I think Danielle Smith seemed uh, unique in that she had a baggage carousel. (laughs) Um, It's it's wild uh, the things that she has said um, that she has tried to shrug off. Um, The NDP had several uh, instances uh, in the last couple years of Mm. Danielle Smith talking openly about uh, the benefits of making people pay for their doctors, having more user pay and privatization. Uh, within the healthcare system, those were things she said before she made this return to politics uh, uh, last year to uh, become a uh, UCP leader to take over for Jason Kenney.
2: What if instead of paying for that 100% with the government paying it directly, what if they deposited the money in your health spending account and you paid your doctor out of your health spending account when you visited? He'd give you a nice little debit card. It would have your name and face on one side, like a driver's license, and then you'd swipe it. And $37 would come out of your account. Government
1: has always- during her broadcasting career uh, at, in COVID, uh, she questioned science. She uh, touted uh, some very questionable um, COVID treatments, uh, was unsure about vaccines, and uh, said in tape that uh, was unearthed during the campaign that uh, the rise of Hitler Uh, Mm. The way that Hitler rose could be perhaps seen in the way that Canadians and Albertans were embracing vaccination.
2: So many people say that they would not have succumbed to the charms of a tyrant, somebody telling them that they have all the answers. And he said, I guarantee you would. And that's the test here is we've seen it. We have 75% of the public who say not only hit me, but hit me harder and uh, keep me away from those dirty unvaxxed. What are we becoming?
1: What are we becoming? Um, some pretty, pretty wild stuff. And then there's also uh, the the innuendo or in the controversy around potential accusations of judicial interference. And mm-hmm. in the middle of this campaign on the night of the only debate, oh, my goodness, this happened only in Alberta. Um, the ethics commissioner came out with a report into, uh, some allegations of judicial interference, uh, by Danielle Smith and found that, uh, the same day, uh, that she had a conversation with a very controversial pastor who'd been charged criminally and is now convicted that same day, she actually phoned her justice minister and asked him what could be done about, uh, this uh, fellow's case and, wow. uh, ethics commissioner, Marguerite, Marguerite Trussler, uh, called that a threat to democracy. Uh, that's, mm. that's her quote, a threat to democracy and found her in breach of the Conflicts of Interest Act. Uh, on the day of the debate. On the day of the debate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, like, you know, that's an exciting day uh, to start with. And then this drops uh, drops that morning. Um, yeah. And this was all mid-campaign. So all these controversies that Daniel Smith had um, and polls showed earlier on uh, this year and uh, last year that, they seemed uh, poised for oppo- the opposition benches. They seemed poised to let the government flip back to the NDP. But Danielle Smith and her team have worked really hard to present a new version of her.
0: Well, and, and you have this great anecdote about a sign that they actually had taped up in some of the UCP offices that really speaks to trying to rein her in and keep her on message.
1: Yeah, the communications director, uh, Joan Moses, and I was in his office in the winter and, uh, I noticed this sign in his, uh, back of his desk and he said he printed it out for all his, uh, staff, all other, uh, ministerial aides, and uh, communications. It said, will this help us get elected in Calgary Pagan? Calgary Pagan mm. is a Southeast, uh, Calgary riding that to this, uh, of this official's, uh, reckoning was the red line seat, the seat that if they lost that, they lost the government. Um, So the idea of this, the thinking behind this for Danielle Smith, for her team, for other ministers' teams is let's think about what that suburban Calgarian, that moderate, um, you know, maybe a little bit fiscally conservative, but not socially conservative uh, and pro-vaccine Calgarian will think. And we have to uh, tailor every single thing we do and every single thing we say to that voter's wishes. And Danielle Smith has not talked about private user pay for for healthcare has not talked much at least publicly about amnesty for uh for the co- people prosecuted under covid uh, rules you know said stop talking about wanting to uh pull alberta out of the canadian pension plan and make it an alberta only uh, pension plan this very strange uh and r- risk fraught gambit uh she s- spent heavily on healthcare despite her fiscal conservative uh back- background she uh talked you know just about taxes grow the economy support public healthcare now and uh you know she even promised right before the election 330 million dollars of provincial funds to help calgary build its uh, and complete its Calgary Flames Arena project.
2: And thanks to that provincial contribution, combined with the significant commitments from the city, from CSEC, and from the Stampede, I'm here to report to you all with great excitement that we did get the Calgary Arena deal done. Calgary will be home to one of the greatest arena and event centres in all of North America, igniting esports, entertainment... And mm-hmm. uh,
1: the sort of thing that uh, uh, the fiscal hawk type of Daniel Smith that uh, would have never done, um, but this was somebody thinking what will help me get elected in Kauri Pegan? And, sure enough, Kauri Pagan <laughs> went by a couple thousand votes to the United Conservative Party.
2: This video is a message from a little boy named Salman. He disappeared five years ago in Syria during the war to defeat ISIS. He still hasn't been found. My name is Poonam Taneja. I'm travelling to Syria to find out what happened to Salman and the thousands of children like him, lost in one of the most dangerous places on Earth. From BBC Sounds and
0: CBC Podcasts, Bloodlines. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And I guess to understand what happened... Tonight, We also need to talk about Jason Kenney. And so that's the province's former leader who stepped down midterm. And he really laid the foundation by uniting the right in Alberta. And it seemed for a moment that that could come undone during Smith's campaign. So how much of a debt do you think she owes to the work that Jason Kenney did?
1: I mean, I guess she owes two, uh, two debts of gratitude to Jason Kenny. On one hand, it's, uh, the fact that he mishandled the, uh, the COVID pandemic so much that it cost him his job and sure. his party turfed him. Um, but the other one is, uh, that this is a very strong coalition. This was this very canny thing that Jason Kenney, one of the craftiest, um, political maneuverers tr- traditionally, um, in, uh, in Canadian history, uh, did in creating this, uh, force, uh, this consolidated right-wing party when he fused the former progressive conservatives and Daniel Smith's old wild rose party into one party basically built to, uh, defeat the NDP. And, uh, this time again, uh, when people were, uh, not doubt, doubting whether this could survive Daniel Smith's uh, leadership, all the, all the grief that candidates, uh, in Calgary and other, uh, urban areas were getting about Daniel Smith at the door, um, that people came home to this party. Conservatives did not leak very heavily, hmm. uh, to, uh, Rachel Notley's, uh, NDP, Uh, They stayed within this big tent. They were focused on opposing the NDP, it turns out, um, focused on sticking around. Uh, I'd imagine that uh, Jason Kenney, who wasn't a giant Daniel Smith fan um, from many (laughs) indications uh, during her uh, leadership campaign when he was still premier, uh, Mm -hmm. might have been sitting somewhere quietly, uh, sipping some Maybe some nice Irish whiskey.
0: And the other thing going on was that, of course, Rachel Notley has a reputation. She worked as a premier and left the province with multi-billion dollar deficits and lots of debt. So how did Smith use that track record to her advantage? Uh,
1: this is the thing about Rachel Notley. Yes, she's she has she's fairly likable, um, but she has a record. In 2015, when she won the first time, uh, she was this you know relative unknown breath of fresh air with no baggage on her except for the you know the fact that you no know, people aren't sure whether they want to vote NDP or not in Alberta uh historically there's no pattern of that until uh until the last few years um but now In 2020, 19, she lost on the record that she had as premier. And 2023, that was coming to haunt her. Uh, As much as the uh, people say the NDP ran a very negative campaign, highlighting uh, Danielle Smith's controversies, the UCP was resoundingly, unremittingly negative as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So often talking about Rachel Notley and the NDP's time time as premier, uh, when the, not only were there high deficits and high debt load, uh, the problems was accumulating, but also, um, um, recession, um, oil prices were very low. So, you know, there will be a lot of people arguing, uh, including Rachel Notley that, uh, that was not their fault. That was an economic situation out of her control. Um, but she also raised income taxes and, uh, Corporate taxes at the time, and the run the carbon tax, Um, so those tended to paint a big target on uh, and a big pin of blame on uh, not least back and people did not uh, did not forget that it seemed.
0: Okay, so taxes kind of takes us to our next. Questions, Which are all about the vision that Danielle Smith has for the province going forward. What is she going to get to work on
1: right away? So her big promises are to cut uh, the personal income tax, uh, create a new bracket of only 8% down from the uh, base rate of 10%. Uh, Now for middle income earners, uh, she's going to actually pass as her first bill uh, Mm -hmm. this plan to this idea of that if any future government would want to raise income taxes or corporate taxes. It had to go to the public in a referendum.
2: The first bill of our government in the legislative session in the fall will be to guarantee that unless Albertans say otherwise by referendum, the only direction business and personal taxes are headed in this province is down. Mm.
1: Uh, She's going to lower taxes herself, but to raise them, to raise revenue and to raise the rates uh, you'd have to go to a uh, uh, go to the voters so um, you'd have to ask
0: the public to approve taxes against themselves that's to be able that's to do right that.
1: there there's already this law in on, on alberta's books uh, saying that you need to go to the public uh, and referendum to Uh, bring in a sales tax. Alberta is very proud of not having a sales tax. Um, And and this is going to be challenging because we talk a lot about Alberta being very reliant on oil revenues and oil royalties uh, to finance its social services. Um, And, you know, they're very volatile. We've seen them uh, slip to almost nothing um, over the last few years. They're doing better now, but everybody is aware that the future could change things. So the idea of a premier not being able to raise income taxes without going to referendum uh seems uh, a bit of a, a tricky proposition for Alberta, but it's it's popular. Uh, not she didn't make a ton of promises this campaign, but here's something to watch. She, ele- she When she was elected as leader of the party, she had promised a bunch of things like pursuing amnesty for uh, the COVID prosecuted, cre- making the right to be unvaccinated in Alberta human mm-hmm. right, in mm-hmm. the Alberta human right code. Um, more aggressively pulling out of a community pension plan, pulling out of the RCMP, getting a provincial only, uh, police force, um, and doing several other things that she didn't wind up doing and actually wound up running back from pretty quickly. Um, this time it'll be interesting to see what she winds up actually implementing and what she winds up shrugging off. She has to keep this party intact. Um, there's a hardcore right wing base. Still within this party, uh, there's this insurgent group, Take Back Alberta, that drew a lot of attention uh, in the last while. That seems to want to uh, really hold her to be this uh, very uh, populist, firm, hardline libertarian, and they're going to want that they could turn on her like they turned on Jason Kenney. Uh, so her leadership may not be totally firm. Mm-hmm. Alberta conservatives have this really wild history of uh, turfing their leaders in the middle of their uh, middle of their term. Uh, Ralph Klein. Eds Dalmak, Alison Redford, Jason Kenney, all the last premiers that won elections. Uh, mm-hmm. They did not last to, uh, to survive another term.
0: Okay, so that'll be interesting to watch. And one more thing that I think people outside of Alberta care about, and big question that people will have about her leadership is, how will the province deal with oil, gas, and carbon emissions? And so what will she do on carbon reduction?
1: On one hand, she came out with a promise uh, plan uh, right before the election that uh, says that she will go to net, that Alberta would go to or aim to go to net zero by 2050, like the country, with a bunch of caveats. However, in her speech, her victory speech tonight, she took a lot of aim at Justin Trudeau and what Justin Trudeau wants to do on emissions. Well,
2: hopefully the prime minister and his caucus are watching tonight. <laughs> Let me be clear, this is not a road we can afford to go down. If he persists, he will be hurting Canadians from coast to coast and he will strain the patience and goodwill of Albertans in an unprecedented fashion. And as Premier, I cannot, under any circumstances, allow these contemplated federal policies to be inflicted upon Albertans. I simply can't and I won't.
1: All Canadians have to know that there is no way uh, Canada can meet its climate change and emission reduction ambitions without very serious involvement and participation and cooperation from the province of Alberta with its major oil and gas sector. Daniel Smith will signal a more fight on many of the priorities uh, the Trudeau government has on this, including a cap on oil and gas emissions, special targets for that sector, um, electric vehicle targets, net zero grid uh, promise by 2035. You know, she's always talked a good fight. And a lot of Alberta premiers have talked a good fight about going against especially a liberal government in Ottawa. Danielle Smith seems intent to uh, be firmly in that tradition, perhaps more firmly than any other premier before her.
0: Hmm. Okay, Jason, thank you so much for all of this. And I'll let you get back to everything you have to finish before you can finally go home and go to bed.
1: Oh, Thanks. That was very fun.
0: Right, that's all for today. I'm Jody Martinson. Thank you for listening to Front Burner.
1: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.